0: Strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital,
1: development.
0: This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner.
1: And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner.
0: This show is sponsored by Together We Ship.
1: On a mission to help agencies grow.
0: Rock on. Here we are, Maroon, my friend. How are yeah. you? I'm I'm
1: doing great, Jesse. How are you? How's your good? Morning? You didn't
0: get the memo on the um, color of t-shirt you were supposed to wear to today's episode. I know. I'm the odd one out today, right? I know. You had pink on earlier this week. We were both it was brightly colored. It's, it's good bringing some color into our life these yeah. days. Yeah. With a, let me move this over. This is epic. Um, with a keen eye for design and deep understanding for user behavior, our guest today has mastered the art of crafting immersive and unforgettable online journeys. His expertise in user centered design has helped numerous businesses achieve remarkable success by creating seamless interactions that resonate with their target audience. Please welcome to the podcast Dog Dad, partner and president of humor, Jeff Gapinski. How are you, Jeff? Thanks for wearing black and being on brand.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me on today. I appreciate it.
0: All right. So let's now that I've teed up the dog dad situation, because Brune and I are both pet parents, what myth? What what do you got? What's some sort of misconception, bogus strategy do you want to set the record straight on?
2: Yeah. So I think the the thought that all of us millennials have, at least of this dog in the office concept being this like amazing thing and like super convenient. let say Probably not on that. I mean, I love my dogs. Don't get me wrong, but I think what what did me in for having dogs in the office was um, one day I had my dog, my business partner's dog was in the office. They were n- normally the two stand-ins every single day. There was a third dog that got introduced in the mix. High energy. So the three of them kind of playing rough, distracting employees. You know that is annoying enough, but. What sent it over the edge was we had a, a random Popeye from one of our clients. So he comes in, he's been a client of ours for a while, doesn't knock on the door and is immediately stampeded by all three dogs at the same time. <laughs> and that was the day that we banned dogs from the office. Like After that, no more dogs, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that that's my myth. I, it, it seems great, but more trouble than it's worth as far as I'm concerned
0: we used to rotate them. Like not all dogs get along. So we would co- like those of us who would bring ours in, we would, this was way, way pre COVID, but we'd coordinate. Like I had an old lady who was about 80 pounds. Someone else had a puppy who was about 10. The two shall not mix all the time, for example, that you just gave. Um. So we'd be like, okay, I'm going to bring her this week. You bring yours next week. We'll go that way and that way.
1: I, I can't imagine having a dog in the office. So, in in my Indian office, so I have most of the team members from India. And I you know we have before COVID we had an office. Now we are remote. But Indian culture is so different than we have here. Like pets, dogs, cats, they're not that common. We do have people who have pets, but I can't imagine them bringing pets to the office. Otherwise, that would create so much disruption. Not only because you know. Um, one, well, of course, the, you know, the, the the time that we spend here training the dogs is so different than what they have in, in India. At least, at least, in, you know, um, in the town that we are in, I've never seen uh, that happen. And if they bring it, the people are not like majority of people are not dog lovers uh, as mm-hmm. such. So it would be tough. I can't imagine that is going to happen. But yeah. you
0: just start bringing a little lizard in your pocket. Just bring out the little. You know bearded dragon or something during a meeting, let them hang out on the table or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit more easy to manage than a large dog or a small dog. So <laughs> anyways, let's dive into um that was a good myth. I so I feel like you're in good company here. While the concept is great, maybe not the actual even at home sometimes they're distracting yeah. too. So it's a needy beast that we live with. But All right, Jeff, tell us a little bit about humor. Let's start with your origin story because you have a, a pretty interesting, how did you get into this? How'd you end up where you are today?
2: Yeah. So I think I have a story that's similar to a lot of other agency owners in the fact that I didn't intend on running this large scale business, right? Like I had a passion for doing a creative skill. Um, and that creative skill over time evolved into a fully fledged company. But to kind of rewind to to when we exactly started, I was 21 years old. Um, I was finishing up my last year of of college and freelancing, and and you know doing what I needed to do to get some beer money, basically for for the weekends. And um, ended up working with this client who was um, like a plastics manufacturing company. Um, And they did a lot of display work and things like that for retail brands. Um, They were working with this this cosmetics company that was in the area. They were a wholesale cosmetics company. And what they were trying to do was transition from being wholesale exclusive to -to direct-to-consumer. And this gentleman that I was working with introduced me to that company. And I had the opportunity to work on their e-commerce website. So this is you know, almost 13 years ago when e-commerce wasn't as easily accessible as it is now. There weren't, you know, Shopify sites that were dominating the the space. It was a bit more complex than that. I'd never worked on an e-commerce site, but I'd done enough web projects that I was able to kind of work around that. So I ended up working on this e-commerce project with this client, did a great job, and as the byproduct of working on that, that project, there's a lot of different ideas shared and things like that. They really kind of lights my, you know, maybe not just design and development focus, but like focus on broader marketing and things like that. So they started to give me more and more opportunities within the business. Before I knew it, I was essentially their entire marketing department. And this was not a small company. This is a multi-million dollar company that gave me all their work. And what I quickly found out that I was just underwater. I couldn't keep up with all the opportunities I was given. So I started to recruit some, some friends that I'd gone to design school with to join my team and, and start helping me execute on all these different various projects. Before I knew it, I had more revenue and and more time being spent on this side project than I was on my actual full-time job. And it gave me the confidence to basically quit my full-time job and transition to doing humor full-time. So pretty much very end of 2011 is when we actually formed the business and made it official. And then that was, that was kind of it. The, from there, we've ter- taken a lot of twists and turns from what we, you know, originally did and, and focused on as a company and had to learn a lot about even just running and owning a business. But yeah, that was, that was how we started and it was not planned. It was not strategic by any means, but I tried to make the best of the opportunities I was given. That's
1: so cool. Um, you're only, owner you have partners
2: so i have a business partner he's actually a very good friend of mine we met in college so we've known each other for almost 20 years now which is pretty crazy and yeah like we've been kind of 50 50 in the business from from day one um we just focus on different things within the organization
0: How less we've had a lot of people who you know both perspectives of of uh people who like starting a business with a co-founder and folks who were like, "Mm, that wasn't quite for me. How do you split the responsibilities? Like what's the yin and yang look like for the two of you? If you, you know, is there a quick kind of rundown you can give just out of curiosity?
2: Yeah. So it's evolved over time, just like the business has, but generally speaking, he focuses more on our business development and I've focused more on our operations and delivery has kind of been the the split between the two Mm -hmm. of us.
1: And that is because you said you come from the background of you were the designer or you have hands-on experience in the design or development. And that's a natural way to fit into, I think, going forward as well.
2: I also just think personality wise, like I am much more strategic and measured and he's a lot more high energy, likes to get out there and connect with new people. um, And more spontaneous in in that way, so I think that's that's also a big reason why we kind of settled into in these different roles. Yeah.
1: You talked about the twists and turns uh, in your business since 2011. Let's talk about that. Tell us about, you know, maybe was there any pivot point for you guys that made you feel that this business is legit? Now this is like real business because you always start small. We don't know where will it go. It's kind of your story as well as you were explaining. You did not plan to be here, you know, where you reached. But there's always a moment during that journey where you feel, oh, my God, this is getting real. You know, this is something beyond our expectation. And now the matter of just keep it building, continue the momentum. But there's always a point where you reach like, you know, you're going slow, steadily growing organically, but then then you get. A point where you have this realization. Did you have anything like that?
2: So, we've had a couple of those realizations over time. The first major one was when we had started out, I kind of mentioned we were doing everything for this business. So, I don't know, a diner menu worth of services is what we were delivering. And I think the first major realization I had was that, you know, not only did we not do all of those services really well, there were a bunch of things on that list that were either not profitable or things that we just simply didn't enjoy doing. So one of the first major turning points was kind of whittling away a lot of those offerings and kind of just focusing on the digital offerings that we seem to be the strongest at and was able to, you know, make the most profitable, easiest to scale, et cetera. The next one of those turning points I would say was actually 2020. Um, and that was when, shit got real for I think a lot of businesses right like uh I don't, I'm sure both of you can can uh, mm-hmm. relate with that but 2020 was one of those moments where um a lot of the learnings and training and everything that we had been building up to at that point this was about let's say eight nine years in business at that point we had to put it into action fast in order to create a plan to to weather what was going on in early 2020 so we had to make quick decisions on individuals to lay off we had to work negotiate with existing team members to temporarily reduce salaries to to deal with the cash flow issues and things like that that was a moment where you know these are all really business focused decisions that needed to be made and they need to be made swiftly in order for us to be effective so that was another big point. And then shortly after that, the next evolution was starting to get more international team members involved in the mix and not just necessarily looking at our geographical location as a limit to who we can hire, but you know, kind of leaning into, well, there's talent everywhere and we have to be remote now anyway. So like let's, let's just run with it. Um, and then that has pretty much enabled us to scale way more effectively than we ever were able to in the past because the talent pool is just broader. And yeah, that that was, I think, the the last or most recent changing point in our trajectory and how we've been operating.
0: I want to pivot a little bit, but kind of feed off what you just said in terms of talent pool and move into kind of your world because you guys do, you, you're global in terms of your workforce, correct? I, I feel like we could take this conversation a bunch of different ways, but I'm going to ask a question I don't think we've asked you know, why, why look globally? You know, we don't ask that question often um, because usually the conversation doesn't go there, but I know it's something that we talked about, you know, is it, and you're based in Pittsburgh, but what, what kind of drew that? It, it was it talent access. was it cost. was it a little bit of everything, you know, tell us a little bit about why. And how, why you, and how
1: did you. And Yeah. The was team, be because, you know, that's one of the talking points as well. In these days, like when it, like business is tough, like economy is tough, and things are not easy for many agencies. If you have done something successfully over time, it would be useful for everyone to learn how you made that work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the immediate need was actually born out of talent more than it had to do with cost, although cost is a benefit. And I'll I'll talk to that a little bit too. But the hiring pool in the United States, and we're talking like late 2020, early 2021, was kind of a mess. We found it more difficult to, to hire for key roles that we wanted to hire for. We found that Salary demands at that point in time were astronomical, like roles that we normally would fill for one industry standard were people were asking for maybe 50% more than what that industry standard was six months ago. And we found ourselves in a position where we had a lot of business opportunities presenting themselves because a lot of businesses were shifting to invest in digital because they couldn't do their in-person events and all these other things that, you know, they, they were used to doing historically. So we need to hire a lot of people, we need to hire them fast and going into international waters was a way that allowed us to do it. Um, we prepared ourselves a couple of different ways. Like one, we had been building a knowledge base of systems and processes for years. So we had a lot of that already in place for the team that that we had at the time. So, So that was kind of all settled. I reached out to other agency owners directly that I knew had international team members and kind of picked their brain in terms of what they were doing to acquire those team members. Um, I also sought out international recruiters and partnered with one specifically in Eastern Europe that had been like extremely successful for us. So the combination of those things is what allowed us to start getting in contact with these different team members. What's allowed us to be successful is really talking to them, learning more about their cultures, understanding maybe what some of the differences are. And kind of working through that so like for instance in the united states even though you give somebody like three weeks or four weeks of time off people just don't like they don't take it right like so one of the first things that i had to yep. recognize
0: <laughs>
2: one of the first things i had to recognize with our our team members from from the eu specifically is like they're going to take every single day that we give them off and If we ask them not to because there's a deadline or something like that they feel like we're taking away from them. Right so like those types of differences and understanding that like across across the group and and how people operate was really important it's something we still continue to learn today Um, as we've expanded into more countries there's more nuances. You know, the other thing, and I'm not going to say that we have this perfect because I think there's still a lot of room for us to grow in this, but getting those individuals to feel fully integrated in the team, you know, every single day, there's things that we're putting in place to help that, but it became much more difficult, at least in the short term, to make those connections because I don't have somebody in the office with me anymore. We, you know, we need to have ways to interact with these people on a daily basis and make them feel integrated.
0: Is there anything um, you can share about how you've done that, that's worked. Or that you're seeing potential success with, I think that's yeah. something a lot of folks struggle with, even whether it's global or local. You know that remote piece. It was a conversation we had a lot with agency owners over COVID and how do we keep people engaged. But since you brought it up, I'm going to ask, what do you,
2: what worked? We have a really big focus on team recognition, um, and it's not just initiated by me or my business partner. It's something that, like, through all levels of organization, we encourage people to. To recognize one another, so we we set up a, a channel in Slack that we call our High Fives channel, and like multiple times throughout the day, somebody will go in there and call out one of their team members. Um, and part of the way that we incentivized it was there's two rewards given each month: the person that receives the most high fives, right? So like they're they're killing it; they're out there helping everybody across the team. Um, but also an incentive for the person who delivers the most high fives because they're also doing a really good job of highlighting individuals on the team that are high performers. So once a month, we kind of tally up all the high fives that are given, um, all the high fives that are received. We have like a leaderboard that shows all the the high fives and stuff for everybody across the organization. Um, And it gamifies it a little bit, like it gets them excited. And then obviously in the moment, you're also getting that recognition on the spot and calling people out. So that's been extremely helpful. We also have Quarterly all-hands meetings where we're like super transparent. We go through everything with our team. Finances, like, I mean, like literally all the key metrics of the business are broken out on those quarterly meetings. So we do those. We also do just like monthly community meetings where people can kind of come to the table and ask any questions that they might have. Could be, they go all over the place. You know, like this month that just passed, one of the questions was, why do we only see dog pictures and not cat pictures like so it goes it goes from that to actually because dogs are better than
0: cats i'll say it right now (laughs) fight me on it it's on record done Uh,
2: but it goes it goes it ranges from that to like more operational questions and things like that but it just Mm -hmm. gives people opportunities to connect we still have not figured out the international like retreat situation it's something Mm -hmm. We love to do but just logistically it's like really hard to figure out so we're, we're still working on that one.
1: What what type of roles have you hired in Europe and or outside the United States?
2: So they vary so we have project managers that are international team members, designers, developers, QAs. Okay. Um, yeah it's it's a pretty wide what
1: type wide of gamut. roles but so, I imagine those people or agencies who have done this model usually have somebody internally, like a project manager or a technical PM, a coordinator who is like liaison between the end client and the team overseas. So, do you have some such a role like that? I mean, that is where the most, I think, the pain point for most other agencies are like, who is that point person who is leading the charge? making sure because, you know, there's a language barrier, there's culture barrier. I mean, do you let them interface with the clients? How does the process work for you that makes it, you know, that makes it work?
2: So we definitely treat these individuals as fully integrated in our team. So um, just like we would, if I had somebody in Pittsburgh with me, you know, they're positioned exactly the same. There's really no there's no barrier hiding these folks from our clients. Like we're super transparent about all that. We have a lot of structure in our organization because we've grown quite a bit. So I guess kind of going from the top down at a high level, we have a COO. Um, I'm actually finally stepping out of that role, which I'm hyped about because as much as I'm good at it, I don't, it's not my passion, but We have a COO, and then beneath that COO, we have a development manager who oversees all of our leads. We have a lead project manager who oversees our project managers. Um, And then we have a marketing manager who oversees our our marketing team. So that's like the next level down. Then below that, we have project managers. So they're overseeing the actual, you know, like our clients and our, our project team and making sure everything's on track. We have what we refer to as leads. So for our development team, we have leads that oversee a team. I think it's organized where we have six or seven individuals that report to each lead. And those leads, like the development manager is from the EU, the leads are from the EU. Majority of our developers are from the EU as well. So there is a lot of common culture shared between those individuals. And it all kind of just, it pyramids up so that the, the development manager isn't overseeing a group of 40 people, right? Like he has his reports and then his reports have their reports. And that's proven to be really effective for, for how we communicate. We also, we're an EOS run organization. So we, at all the different department levels, have L10s and things like that, that, that they participate in that kind of helps keep things organized as well. That's
1: awesome. One last question on this front. Um, many people have asked me before, but I don't know what's the best way to answer it. But usually, um, when you position yourself as a U.S. based agency, and you and the client know that you have a global team, you have a team overseas at a much lower uh, cost to you. Do they ask you for um, for a better rate because for the cost, like what price that you charge them for? With an argument that you have an offshore team for me, why am I being billed for the same rate that you know um, a similar person here? You know, how do you respond to that?
2: So we've done a really good job with our marketing and positioning, where I frankly don't get asked that question. Most people before they even reach out to us know that we, our projects are high five figures to six figures. So that expectation is set. But if I was asked that question, I think my answer would be, you're receiving the same quality of work at the end of the day, regardless of where the team is positioned. And for us, at least, we pay way above what market rate is for all of our international team members. So it's not, there isn't as big of a disparity between our US team and our international team when it comes to compensation. so there is a cost benefit, but it's not, you know, some, some agencies, you know, they might be getting 70% more profit on their international team. Like we're not in that category. We maybe are at 25% as a difference.
0: I feel like we could dig into this and talk about it forever. Cause I think it's one of the things like, you know, we've talked to so many agencies and it's, you really are thinking about growing this team as a global team. You know, in in a true sense, you know, regardless of how the employment status is, the way that you've approached it from a cultural standpoint is really with with a global mindset behind it, and it's um it's kind of refreshing to hear, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, everybody does it a little bit differently, but I like how you've described how you integrate them and the cult, you know, the eye for culture behind it too. It's it's a conversation we have frequently, so thank you, thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you kind of different question that I don't know if we prepped you on, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Are you ready? Um, sure. no, it's it, joking aside. Like the other question we love to ask folks is where do you hang out? Where do you find information? What are the types of pubs you're reading? What are the groups? I know your EOS run, and I know they have a big community there, you know, outside of that, where are you getting inspiration? Where, where are you consuming stuff?
2: Oh man, I consume a lot of stuff. I'm like a big, uh, <laughs> I'm like one of the most boring people because like I'll work out and instead of actually listening to music, like I'm listening to podcasts or an audio book or something like I always try to maximize my time, right? Like well, what are I... you listening
0: to right now then? What's the... Uh,
2: so um Alex Ramosi, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He just dropped a book called um, 100 Million Dollar Leads um so i am
0: sounds good where do we get that
2: (laughs) (laughs) he actually so he has it on his podcast right now for free believe it or not like he he literally released the entire audio book for free on his podcast which was pretty crazy i ended up buying the book anyway because he's if you're not familiar with him i definitely suggest checking him out he he puts out just so much stuff that's extremely high value that you would pay thousands of dollars for for free so he's His perspective on things has actually influenced a lot of our marketing as well. Like, if you go to our website and you check it out, you're going to see things that are probably not commonplace on a lot of agency sites in terms of guarantees that we offer or what our value proposition is and things like that. So that's that's a book I'm listening to right now. I really enjoy listening to the Agency Mastermind Institute with Drew McKellen and and his podcast. Like, I, I listen to a lot of his stuff. Jason Swank also has has a podcast that's pretty good to listen to that, that's focused on agencies as well.
1: For a second I thought you were gonna say agencies that build podcasts.
0: I was gonna make <laughs> that same joke.
2: <laughs> well that one's on my rotation now too. Um as but, it should be. <laughs> I don't know, there's there's so many different things. Like um
0: There's a few good. I don't know,
2: I, yeah, I'm I'm always I'm always consuming stuff that relates to mainly marketing and business because those are the areas that I'm most interested in. I'm, believe it or not, like a lot less, even though my background was in more of like the tech and design field, I focused on so much of that for so long. I got burnt out on it. So now my like focus has kind of shifted to these other things.
0: It happens.
1: Where do you, so... This is all the content that you consume through podcasts and books. But do you do any networking? Any so from as a business owner, what do you do to keep the leads flowing in? You know, or or maybe that's your partner's job. I mean, because he's doing the sales and this. But I'm I feel that every owner, regardless of your job or role, you have responsibility, or at least you feel passionate about. You know growing the business because that's Mm. why you started the business in the first place. So I'm making a lot of assumptions right now, but I'm hoping, I'm assuming that this, you know, this is all true. So what do you do for, from that angle?
2: So I do zero networking when it comes to trying to acquire business. Like I, I'm not going to a rotary club. I'm not going to an SBA event. Like I hate that stuff. Absolutely loathe it. It's it just, it always just feels so artificial to me to like go to those things. I do participate. So like AMI that I mentioned, their, their podcasts, they also have their own community that you can go and attend events. I've attended a number of their events over the years. You know, I've, I've gone to some more major like platform events, like whether it's Shopify or HubSpot or what have you, but on a daily basis to to drive opportunities to the business, it's just really focusing on my brand and putting content out there and being active, which I still have a ways to go on that front as well. But frankly, like that's what drives the majority of opportunities. Like we have uh, things in our pipeline right now that somebody found me off of a LinkedIn post and decided that they wanted to reach out to us. But in terms of like the more hardcore business development, that's, that's my business partner's job.
1: Yes. Well, thank you for answering. But one last question from me before I let Jesse wrap up. What would be the you know, biggest mistake that you might have done in the in your life, in your career, personal or professional?
2: How much time do we have? Um, for one, <laughs> what would be biggest? So I think that if I was to go, if I was to rewind 10, 10 12 years and focus on how I was scaling the team, I think I would have done it a lot differently than we did. So I put myself in the center of everything and all things flowed through me and it worked that way for many years. It eventually got to a point where it was untenable for me to continue to to run everything the way that we're running. If I was to go back and restructure things, what I would actually do is focus more on bringing in an operator sooner and basically having that operator work with more freelance talent rather than hiring permanent talent and me being the operator for the business. I think that would have allowed us to scale a lot more effectively and a lot faster. And if I was to start a brand new agency tomorrow, that that would be the way that I would approach it.
0: Interesting. I think that's it's. Uh, I always love when people we get the opportunity to ask that question and how people answer it because it's it always comes down to their personal experience and how do you you know hindsight is always twenty twenty. What would you do differently? in in shifting so um you know it, it's i feel like we could talk about that for another 15 minutes too there's like so many areas but i'm going to take us to the future what's exciting you about the future now that we've looked in the past thank you for telling you know thank you for that and what are you what are you looking forward to
2: so um this this year has been our year of implementing eos and kind of getting that cascading down through the organization as we approach the end of the year like the lower levels of our organization are starting to get going on all those EOS meetings. And I'm really excited by the improvements and communication I've seen from implementing this system. And just generally speaking, how we are operating more effectively. I'm really excited to see, you know, starting off in 2024, how much more efficient we can be in our projects and our delivery and everything else, also, without me being the Chief Operating Officer, you know I'm very excited to be able to focus more on our branding and growth trajectory and things of that nature and less focus on the delivery of the projects. so those are the two things that have me really excited right now. I also there's we have some some plans of expanding to other service categories and kind of making a bigger stake in those over the next twelve to eighteen months. so I'm really excited to kind of build those service lines out and expand in those areas and grow the team and do the whole thing
0: do all the things and all the days with all Mm -hmm. the stuff you know my fourth grade teacher is rolling over (laughs) someplace because she's saying you're not allowed to say stuff and things so but anyways thank you so much for your time today Jeff this was um interesting conversation and your worldly insights can I say that (laughs) (laughs) So, <laughs> for those of you listening you can find jeff on the linkedin and then your web url is is kind of fun humor rocks humor h-u-e-m-o-r dot rocks plural so that's it everyone if you learned something today or left please tell somebody about the podcast thanks for listening find our other episodes on agencies plus we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.